I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is You Can't Make This Up. You Can't Make This Up is the podcast where we uncover the true stories behind your favorite Netflix documentaries and films. On today's episode, we take a closer look at volume three of the Netflix series, Unsolved Mysteries. People have been skeptical of our work. Of course, we expect that. All I can say to them is you weren't there. You didn't see what I saw. Today, we're talking to series executive producer Terry Dunmuir and director Donald Eicher. The iconic and gripping series Unsolved Mysteries returns with a special event. Over the next three weeks, new episodes featuring more unexplained deaths, baffling disappearances, and bizarre paranormal activity will be available on Netflix. Unsolved Mysteries is a series you don't just watch. Viewers engage with the stories, offering more than 5,000 tips regarding the last two seasons at unsolved.com. Maybe you have information about cold cases, missing persons, and paranormal puzzles. Volume 3 is filled with even more stories that will intrigue you and amaze you. Was a high school graduate's death along a stretch of train tracks a cover for murder? New Jersey Transit put it out there that my daughter committed suicide. There's absolutely no way. No way at all. I want to know what happened to my daughter. Hundreds of people called 911 to report strange lights over Lake Michigan. Did they all see a UFO? This is tough for a scientist to admit, and so I'm just going to have to say the way they acted, even though intelligent, they didn't act human. He was known as Las Vegas's most colorful character. They say he died of a drug overdose. But was his death connected to the anonymous threats he received? We thought it was like a setup. It didn't feel right. I know that there's people out there that want the truth as bad as I do. We deserve justice for our father. A California woman says her apartment is haunted by a restless ghost. Is it connected to one of the home's previous tenants, a woman murdered four decades ago? What I discovered was there's a person that went missing from that apartment. I feel like her spirit was trying to get in touch with someone. I think she wants to be found. After we speak to series executive producer Terry Dunmuir, we'll hear from director Donnie Eicher about his episode titled Body in Bags. When a beloved single father disappeared and was later found dead, there was only one suspect. Now, the U.S. Marshals Task Force is on the hunt for his girlfriend, who is now a fugitive from justice. And then he opened the bag up and looked in there. He did a double take. He's like, I just, I got to look again. And he's like, that's definitely a foot in there. And I'm joined first by series executive producer Terry Dunmuir. Welcome back to You Can't Make This Up, Terry. 
Oh, thank you. It's so nice to be here and chatting with you again. I want to talk to you about the series as a whole. Unsolved Mysteries Volume 3 is now out on Netflix with a special three-week event. We did get a first batch of stories, but we're getting a second batch on October 25th and a third on November 1st. And we talked about this before, but can you remind me why it is that you brought Unsolved Mysteries back to our TVs? You know, there are so many mysteries out there that still need to be solved, even after all the episodes we did back in the day, all the vintage episodes. And we just would love to keep solving mysteries and bringing in tips to law enforcement for cases that have gone cold. And it was important to you to keep the Unsolved Mysteries brand, right? Because it's the one that we all know and love. Absolutely. We made some changes to the vintage vintage episodes. Um, you know, we don't have a host and we have one story per episode rather than four stories per episode. Um, the, the first volume one and volume two performed beyond our wildest dreams and expectations. Um, we got thousands of tips in, uh, for all the different cases and law enforcement is still actively working some of those tips. A lot of the previous viewers of Unsolved Mysteries came back and then there's more, there are more people who found more episodes. Do you think that this volume three um, has grown since even the volume one that aired on Netflix? Do you see an evolution in this new iteration of Unsolved Mysteries? I think the episodes in volume three are are very consistent with volume one and volume two. They're strong mysteries. There's a variety of mysteries. There's diversity of ethnicity and age and location. Um, I feel like the the stories that are being presented in volume three are just as stronger, if not stronger than volume one and volume two. Is there a magic formula for what you think makes a great unsolved mysteries case? One of the things we look for, I think, is are cases that are relatable, where people can watch them and say, oh, my gosh, that could be me. That could be my child who's missing from a campus party or that could be my daughter who was hit by a train um, mysteriously. So so people, you know, interviewees and the protagonists of the stories who are are relatable. Um, and we look for a, a variety of mysteries, stories that have twists and turns. I think that for us, the criteria is if we can't stop talking about them and trying to figure them out, then we know that the audience will be feeling the same way and that they'll be trying to figure them out as well. So that that, I guess, is a strong point when we when we can't we can't figure it out and we just keep wanting to talk about it. So, Terry, in addition to Donnie Iker, you've got some really top-notch directors this season. You've got Sky Borgman, who seems to have directed pretty much every true crime story in 2022, uh, Clay Jeter, Robert M. Wise, and Gabe Torres, just to name a few. Can you give us a teaser of a few of the stories that we're going to be seeing in the next couple of weeks? In each of the two batches that will be coming up in the next couple of weeks, we have two paranormal episodes, um, one set on the Navajo Nation, um, and one, uh, basically a ghost story about a, a young girl who disappeared and is probably dead, who may have come back to try and solve her own murder. Um, and we have two unexplained death episodes, which are the, are, we find are those are the episodes that people talk the most about. One of them is about a man who went out on his boat. He disappeared. His boat was found nine days later, and then his body was found. One of the most solvable episodes, I think, are the stories of two different families of um, children who have been abducted by a parent. And we absolutely know that they're alive out in the world somewhere. And we're really hoping that the audience can can help us locate those children and bring them back to the parent who they were stolen from. 
Now, you just mentioned this. I mean, you're not just telling the stories of some of these unsolved mysteries. You're trying to help solve them. So this season, what are you doing to help make that happen? Anyone who has a tip um, about any of the cases can always go to unsolved.com and submit a tip. They can do that anonymously. Um, Also, sometimes at the end of the episode, we have a phone number for, for tips that can go directly to law enforcement. Um, we're in in a lot of the episodes. We're providing new information. There's a, one of the episodes is about a 20 year old. It's a 20 year old case uh, about a, a young man who was 20 years old and disappeared from a, a college, a university in Minnesota. And there's new information in that in that case that has not been put out by law enforcement before. So we're trying to to give viewers the the freshest information that we have and the newest information that we have and any new leads in the cases, so that even if they're familiar with the case. Um, now there's new information. So, Terry, I have to ask you, because we talked a while back about a previous season of Unsolved Mysteries, and that included the episode No Ride Home. Um, After that episode, the FBI reopened the case of Alonzo Brooks. That must have been a really proud moment for you and your team. Can you talk about that a little bit? Right before our episode launched, the FBI announced a $100,000 reward for any information leading to the case of Alonzo Brooks. And prior to that, the case had been categorized in its manner of death as undetermined or unexplained. And they changed the manner of death to homicide, which is really a big deal, um, which meant that they could open the investigation. And they did. The FBI opened an investigation and we have sent them many, many tips um, from that came into unsolved.com regarding that case. And a lot have come in directly to the FBI. We spoke to them last week and they can't tell us what the status of any of those tips are other than to say they continue to get tips and they're still still working on leads. If a, if a tip comes in or a lead comes in, it can take a long time for the law enforcement agency to put the case together before they can make an arrest or because, before they can bring someone in for it or you know before justice can be served. Um, so, um, you know, we're hoping that that they're hoping they're, they believe that that case will still be solved as well as some of the other cases that we did from season one. And sometimes it's just a matter of time. Terry, Netflix does afford you this instant international audience, plus an audience that can watch the show on demand, plus an audience that can share episodes of the show and share the website on social media. These are things that the original syndicated TV show didn't have the benefit of. Um, Does this make the crowdsourced element of solving these mysteries more powerful? I believe it does. And people now can interact with each other and talk about these cases and these mysteries. Um, there's a there's a lot more viewer engagement that we saw in volumes one and volume two. And we're expecting that in volume three as well. We just find people are engaged and, and want to talk about the mysteries. We, you know, the tips that come into unsolved.com, sometimes they're just comments. Sometimes they're theories. Sometimes they're thoughts. They're not always a lead um, because people just want to share their share their thoughts. It's it's uh, we didn't even have internet when the when the original series launched. So um, the the landscape has changed incredibly, and I, I think for the better. Congratulations on this volume coming out. I'm really enjoying watching it so far, and I can't wait to watch the next batch of episodes. Terry, thanks so much for joining me on You Can't Make This Up. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And I'm joined now by director Donnie Eicher. Donnie, welcome to You Can't Make This Up. Thanks for having me, Rebecca. I'm really happy to be here. 
So this is your first time directing an Unsolved Mysteries episode. What appealed to you about this assignment? Well, when Terry first spoke with me about this case, my first thought was, who would do such a horrible thing to another human being? And since this is a fugitive story, that this person, they're still on the loose. They're a fugitive that's wanted by law enforcement. She's obviously very dangerous, and she could do this to someone else. So I I basically signed on immediately because I thought, by telling this story, we might have a shot at catching a fugitive, helping this family and essentially a community have closure, and hopefully we could get justice. Hmm. So your episode, Body in Bags, it deals with the 2018 case of David Carter. I was really moved um, hearing about David from his friends and, and family members. Can you talk a little bit about his life in the years leading up to his death? Yeah, uh, that's a great question because, you know, once I met the victim's family and I started interviewing them, I soon realized that this family, they were so well-loved in the community. They had a great, really strong family unit. And I just, I really had a lot of compassion for them. I mean, it's such a heartbreaking story. So my job as a storyteller, first and foremost, is to make sure that the Carter family is treated with respect develop this trust, and essentially this story would be told with integrity. And um, so when I met the Carter family, I, I just had so much compassion because they were so well-loved in the community. And um, my job really is to make the audience also have that same compassion for this family, to put the audience in their shoes to try to understand how horrific this was, because this was in 2018. It wasn't very long ago, so it's still very raw. So, you know, David was a, he was just a, a great human being. He was 39 years old. He was really tall. He was like uh, roughly 6'4". He worked in a, in a factory in Detroit, and um, he was really well-loved in the community. And, and first and foremost, his... He wanted to be successful and he wanted to be an excellent father and role model for his son, DJ. It really seemed like his family, his father, Elton, his sister, his son, DJ, like wanted the world to know those things about him. Right. Like that they seemed to be so uh, determined, like for us to know his story like, and, and really get to know him and know him. That's it really seemed to be. Was that why they decided to talk to you about him? Well, you know, when I first met with them. I told them that what I really want to do is I want to memorialize who David was and what he meant to the community and that he was a great father to his son. He was a great person in his community. He worked hard and he was a good son. He was a fun-loving person, serious but fun-loving. Tall, handsome, athletic. David was my best friend. David was the person I would call for any advice. He took pride in everything that he did. Um, that was part of my job is to memorialize that because I do think that was important. And also, you know, the family, I think they wanted to do this because maybe, just maybe, we have a shot at finding Tammy and trying to mm -hmm. get justice. So things for David changed somewhat when he reconnected uh, with Tammy Williams, his high school classmate, 
and started dating her. Now, we hear a little bit about what she'd been like in high school and a little bit about what their relationship was like from the outside. Is there anything else we need to know about her? Like, what do we need to know about her other than that, if anything? Well, she was very manipulating. Everyone that I talked to, family and friends, they just said Tammy was always there. Tammy was like this dark shadow that was always around David, always listening in and in a very big presence. And um, everyone was like, wow, she's just she never goes away. And um, and, you know, the, the heartbreaking thing is that the Carter family took Tammy in, even though they weren't crazy about her, they still accepted her because they loved David. And if that was David's choice of who he wanted to be with, they they supported it. But, you know, she was also, what is important is that she was like a chameleon. You know, she would have all these different disguises on Facebook. She'd be a blonde one day, a brunette another day. You know, she would change the way she looked that ultimately is is probably making it why it's it's tough to find her. Now, September 30th, 2018, we hear about it from the family's perspective, and it just seems like there was something like generally off about that day, right? Um, yes. David never called in sick. He worked at a factory um, near Detroit. He'd never missed a day of work, and he'd been missing two days. David didn't come to work Sunday. That was just out of the ordinary for David to miss double time. When Tuesday came around, David ain't been to work in three days. I was like, nah, something ain't right. And family members were texting him, friends were texting him. They were receiving these strange texts back like, hey, I'm sick, I have a bad cough, I'm out for a walk. It was very unlike David and it wasn't in his language that the way he was sending these texts. So that was definitely very off. It's interesting to me. Don't you wonder when you hear stories like this about, you know, the killer sending texts from the phone of the victim, like trying to delay, delay, like what is the plan ultimately? Is the plan just to text the family forever and hope they will never come to the house? I mean, it just it just seems like a very short sighted, like not really well thought out way to deal with this, right? It's interesting because David was a very big man. And when one dismembers a person, uh, the, the medical examiner, uh, Dr. Barnett told me, it takes a long time. And I mean, this is brutal to talk about, but it's, it's what happened. You know, he was uh, sawed in three different parts. He was dismembered in three different parts. And she said that would take an extremely long amount of time, meaning over 20 hours. And then you have these parts and you have to do something with them. Then you have to clean the apartment. And she did all this and then went to work. Psychopath. Yeah. So that is that what you think it tells us about the kind of person she was, that she was able to use what the coroner thinks was a common kitchen knife and have all this patience and just take all this time? Is that is that the takeaway that you think she is a psychopath? Well, <laughs> I think she would have to be a psychopath, but it's also hard to think rationally about an irrational person. How yeah. do we rationalize her behavior and what she did? But without a doubt, in my layman's perspective, she's a psychopath. She's very dangerous. And she could do it again. You know, they uh, David was also shot in the head. 
and they never mm-hmm. found the weapon. So potentially this woman, she's a fugitive. She's on the loose. She committed this horrific act and she could be with somebody right now and they have no idea what she's capable of. So the coroner thought that the dismembering of the body was purely logistical, right? I think the person responsible for the death was faced with a huge problem. How do I get rid of a 190 pound, six foot four man? I can't carry him down the stairs. The lower part of the remains alone weighed 73 pounds. This is this this was convenient for Tammy. Yes. Essentially. That that's exactly what she said. She she basically had a big problem. And then what does one do with this big problem? And and she put, you know, the the different pieces of David's body in, in various bags and scattered them along the I-75 interstate. So based on the evidence of the apartment and what was found in the bags, is there like a, a real theory? Of the murder? I mean, we, we have the body parts, we have the bullet hole, but is there a theory about what actually occurred between the two of these people? Ooh, that's a big question. Um, you know, we don't have a witness because the only witness would be Tammy. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were no, there was no defensive struggle. The, the medical examiner said there was, there was no defensive struggle, so there was no fight. So I would assume as a layman that David was sleeping and she just came in and and shot him in the head, cold blooded, and then had as much time as she needed to deal with her really big problem and not to to break it down simplistically, but you, you have a huge problem there. And then to clean up the mess as well. And then to go to work, get on social media act like nothing happened and still be in the community after you do that. People are seeing you um, and carry on as if nothing happened. That's hard to fathom. Yeah. Yeah. Was there any talk of like a particular motive in this case? Because I mean, we, we knew that she was possessive, that she'd get angry with him, you know, just for doing normal stuff, it seemed. Uh, beyond that, did anyone float any particular motives to you? To my understanding, David was going to break up with her. Oh. And I think that was the motive. Gotcha. You know, that that that's what I think the motive was. I think that David yeah. had decided I've had enough. You know, family and friends have been hinting she's too controlling and manipulating and maybe he broke up with her at that football game. Yeah. I mean, we we saw David in some camera phone uh footage at DJ's football game the weekend he was killed. You know, I was really struck by how happy he was to be surrounded by his family while watching his son. And, you know, this video was a very authentic look at him. David was laughing and joking with us and hollering at the game at the same time. We were throwing popcorn and just having a good time at that game. David and Tammy had came to the game together, but weren't together at the game. And then, and then the fact that he died... But the short time after that, it really is stunning to me. And I, I, I couldn't help but imagine like being with your family, having fun and then going away with this woman with whom, you know, you're not happy. So perhaps the argument was triggered by that contrast like situation. I don't know. But did, but did you think it was important to show that footage of him at the football game just to show us what the dynamic was like when he was with his family? I think it was important on many levels because 
you know, there's a lot of true crime out there and you have to connect with people on a human level and to see David, not just as a victim, but as a happy person with his family and, and supporting his son. I think it's very important for that reason. But also, you know, at that football game, they were separated. They were sitting apart and she was watching him with the evil eye, from what I understand. And they weren't talking at that football game. So something had happened there because normally they would always sit together. And, and by the way, his father never missed his son his son's game in any sport whatsoever. Hmm. So that was uh, very important to him. So the reality of David's death did hit the family, of course, extremely hard. And you show us how DJ dealt with his grief on the football field. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because that was so moving. Well, I believe it was a few days after DJ's father was found, his football coach said to him, hey, we have a football game coming. Do you want to play? And he said, absolutely. I'm going to play in honor of my father. The night of the game, it was it was rocking. Everyone showed me love. Family and friends, they all sat next to each other on the stands. It's like, it's like the whole stands were family. He went on to play, and I think it was 64 to 0. They beat the team. And, and that just goes to show you who DJ is. And he's just an incredible kid and is, is overcoming a, just a, a heartbreaking situation to lose your father at such a young age. And to you, lose your father to murder, I, it, it's unfathomable. But, you know, DJ now has is, is gone on to, he got a scholarship. He's playing at a university. He's got good grades. Amazing, amazing kid. So it seemed clear that Tammy Williams knew more than she said, and police brought her in for questioning and then let her go. And the question that I had that I'm sure other viewers also had was, why did they do that? So do you know, like, why did they do that? Why did they let her go? That's the million dollar question. Um, they arrested her briefly. They brought her in. It was announced at the football game. They got her. The family celebrated and then they let her go a few hours later. I'm limited on what I can discuss because I don't want it to hinder our investigation. But what I can tell you is that they didn't have enough at that time to hold her in charge of with a crime. I can't answer that and, and neither can the family. You know, they had her. Hmm. So U.S. Marshals are now looking for Tammy. Uh, what do we know about where she went before dropping off the map? So from what I understand, the U.S. Marshals are doing everything they can to find this woman. She's a fugitive on the run. And her last known whereabouts, she was checked into a, a hotel in New York with her own ID. And she's never been seen since. If Tammy was working a job right now, she was a travel agent. She could have booked your trip to wherever. She could be working at a hospital. She could have taken your blood yesterday. Let's be honest, she's not afraid of blood. Your Netflix episode is out. You have this big international audience. You have this opportunity now to crowdsource this investigation and this search for Tammy. What is your level of hope that the work that you did with this family and putting the story out there will help law enforcement find her today? I hope as a filmmaker that I memorialized the Carter family and that someone somewhere will watch this episode and they will do the right thing because someone knows where this woman is. 
if, you know, she has a huge rose tattoo on her left shoulder. So even if she got that tattoo removed, that two tattoo artists that removed that tattoo would know where she's at. Somebody is supporting her. Someone knows where she is. I just hope that through this episode that someone will will stand up and, and turn her in and, and give this family justice. The Unsolved Mysteries episode is Body in Bags. Director Donnie Eicher, I really think your Unsolved Mysteries episode is going to make a difference. I really do. Thank you so much for joining me to talk about it. Great talking with you, Rebecca. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks again to Terry Dunmuir and Donald Eicher. For more of my takes, check out my other podcast, Crime Writers On. Each week on that show, we break down the latest in true crime documentaries, TVs, podcasts, and pop culture. If you like You Can't Make This Up, please rate and review this show and share it with your friends. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you're listening right now. And make sure to subscribe to the show to stay tuned for all new episodes. Our music is by Kelly Mack at Netflix Music Lab. You Can't Make This Up is a production of Netflix. I'm Rebecca Lavoie. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>